Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. Okay. Hi, everyone. Matt here. And today I am with two members of our engineering team. And we're going to be talking about porting Liquid to Windows. And Liquid is the underlying tech that powers both AstroPad Studio, AstroPad Standard, and Lunar Display. And our journey in taking a very Mac and iOS-specific code base and bringing it to Windows. And so with me, I have Jeremy Knope. You say hi, Jeremy. Hello. And Corwin Durkach. Corwin, if you could say hi. Hi. Yeah, so good to have you guys here. First, I should really like set the stage for what we're talking about, why we're we're doing all this. So for the past, it hasn't been quite a year and a half yet, but it's been it's quite over a year now, a year and a couple months, we've been working on porting our apps to Windows. Previously, we've been Mac only, Mac plus the iPad. And we've had to port over to Windows, which if you want the whole backstory on that, I would recommend checking out our first episode where we talk about Sherlock for by Apple. And that kind of sets the stage for why we're going to Windows. Even though for a long time, we've wanted to go to Windows, being Sherlock by Apple really forced us to go to Windows on a tight timetable. So all of our apps run on Liquid. And Liquid is this custom network protocol and video streaming system we've built over many years. And it's got a lot of Objective-C in it. And we needed to get that to run on Windows. And so Corwin and Jeremy have been working on this a ton the past year and have made some major major milestones in getting us over to Windows. But we're not using Objective-C, so we should probably start there. So Jeremy, do you want to start for us? Because you're really, really how Rust came into this picture. How did it all start? Yeah. Can you tell us how it all started? Well, I knew some people online that talked about Rust a bunch. So I started to kind of get a little bit of interest in it, you know, maybe a few years ago or so and curious about it due to its kind of unique feature set. And at some point, you know, started actually learning it and finding time to learn it and started to really enjoy it. And the big thing is, kind of like the unique feature set is that Rust is aiming to be like fast and safe and also empower like, you know, those two things while being able to do like concurrency and things like that. So yeah, that was hugely attractive that, oh, I can write, you know, this kind of high level code that I'm used to writing but it produces is really fast and reliable application, which is which is awesome. And it's got really good cross-platform support, which was key for us too. Yep. Yeah, like one option could have been Swift if Swift I think was more mature on Windows because you know Swift is basically Apple's language of choice, or at least they they try to encourage you, you know, on Mac and iOS. But you know, like Windows, they're starting to really push towards it, so it's getting there. But at least at the time we were kind of looking, it's like, doesn't feel quite ready yet. Yeah. And, it, and it's still early. And you have to question how much commitment Apple has to long term, too. Because obviously their first allegiance is to their own platforms. So, you know, are they going to maintain these other platforms long term? You know, that's a, especially for a new code base, that's a big bet to make. Yeah. I might rely on the open source community around Swift more than Apple themselves. Um, and 
personally, I'm not sure what that looks like currently. But I know with rosters, they have actually a very nice like tier system of what they very much like support completely, little less support, and you know goes down from there. But like the you know Mac, iOS, and Windows and Linux are kind of like tier one. You know we definitely support these. Yeah. So what did you think, Corwin, when we like because there was a couple other things we looked at as well for porting. And then Rust as well. I mean, what was your thoughts on the whole thing? Well, the first time I heard of Rust actually was right before I joined you guys. And I was looking up things about the other team members. And I noticed on Jeremy's GitHub before I even met him <laughs> that he had a Rust project. I was like, what is Rust? What is Rust? Yeah. I kind of peeked at it. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then, you know, fast forward to now where we decided to go with it. And right away after I started playing around with it, it was just super exciting because i'm the type of person that doesn't change horses very quickly Uh, (laughs) like i've been i was doing objective c and swift and ios for like 10 years right and some people are really good at like hopping and trying out different languages and i'm just not quick at that but when i started playing with rust it just started to see be so clear that they were solving these old programming problems that just you know, of, of like thread safety, memory management. And it was so much harder to shoot yourself in the foot. And that was really exciting. And at the same time, it was a good challenge to learn a new language where their borrow checker and their compiler is so thorough and friendly. And so it was fun. You know, it was such a, just a pleasure to learn and, but also a good challenge. <laughs> like the learning curve, the learning curve I found pretty steep. Oh yeah, still. And I've, I've done so little rust. I mean, you two now are very well versed in rust after all the many, many lines of code you've written, but yeah, I definitely feel you on the learning curve. Like I'm still trying to poke and prod around. Like I really need to build a real project (laughs) at some point in it to get a handle on it. That's such another good point about why rust is so agile is because you can like, just what I was working on this week, you can just start from scratch and you can have like a multi-threaded test system you know, in like minutes, <laughs> it's, yeah. you know, and then you go back and you look at some of our objective C code and whether you're using grand central dispatch or not, and you're just like, man, it is just so much more work to do this in another language. And so less safe. <laughs> yeah. And definitely see that with a big chunk of our compression code is still in C, C++. And sometimes we we run into some errors in there and we're like, no, this wouldn't happen if it was in Rust. You know, some, <laughs> yeah. some of the memory errors. Yeah, like you just have hint, to Hint, hint, we need to write it in Rust. Yeah. <laughs> like the race conditions too, right? That's such a subtle, nuanced problem. And it's pretty hard to get in that corner in Rust. You still can, but it's way, way harder. And that's it's just so, I don't know, it's just more comfortable. Yeah, it definitely helps you kind of like guides you away from some really common pitfalls or just flat out prevents you, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really nice. And I think one of my, especially coming from Objective-C more than Swift, since, you know, our code base is all Objective-C, we don't have like the issue of runtime failures or runtime crashes as much. I mean, they're not non-existent in Rust, but it's very unlikely because if it compiles, it's a lot more correct on the Rust side. So that's really nice to be able to run this and have a little more confidence that it's not going to blow up because you you know mistyped something like an Objective-C, which is a warning or maybe nothing, 
when it builds. Yeah, it's really nice feeling too that we have all of this new code. And in a little bit, we should get into like our overall strategy and what we have done so far with it. But all this new code that's in Rust and we know is much safer. It's much more, I guess, robust, I would describe. And so when there are like crazy crashers, I'm like thinking like, oh, it's probably the it's probably the encoder that's got C++ in it, you know? And we did look at a couple other strategies too for porting before Rust. I know... We looked at doing Objective-C on Windows, but that was super sketchy. It just wasn't well supported. Things like, you know, we're using Grand Central Dispatch and Lib Dispatch, like you mentioned, Corwin, heavily on the Objective-C side. And like, that's not available on Windows. How would you port it? It was pretty gnarly. We looked at having, using GNU Step to port some things over as well. And it just, it was just a mess. And then the other thing was, okay, well, let's port everything to C++. That's that's portable. But nobody was excited about that. <laughs> like, seriously. like, And the only reason that the encoder or the compression stuff has so much C++ in it right now is because so much of it was already C. So on many files, we could practically just change the file extension and get it to compile with C, you know, C++. It wasn't a big deal there. There was less Objective-C. So then when Rust came into the picture, I think it was Jeremy, you brought Rust in. You're like, what if we use Rust? It was like, oh, maybe this is the ticket. This is this is this is the horse we're gonna bet on to do this rewrite. Yeah, one of the things I thought of lately was the addition by subtraction, which was we're gonna have this solid code base, but then be able to use it in the future. So less of the previous sort of like unsafe <laughs> and newer code less newer code but it's safer and then you know moving forward we can roll it back into to other products yeah it just felt like a no-brainer once once it was presented i think another one of the kind of big things that made the choice a little easier with rust 2 is the fact that it's a lot more compatible with existing like languages. Oh yeah, that's a great point too, yeah. Yeah, the fact that it can call into C code or or be called from C code with a little extra work basically is very appealing, especially like okay, now we can suddenly call it from Objective C and we can call it from say C sharp or C++ on Windows. Like you know, like we can now share this but not require the entire app to be Rust because that's also its own kind of issue. Like, you know, once you hit to the GUI, you start to have to make some different choices. Yeah, that, and that's a that's a good point. How are we doing it right now? How are we doing the, the GUI and the UI layer? You know, how are we interfacing with Rust? Yeah, so yeah, currently what we ended up choosing was using kind of the native environment of Windows and therefore like similar to Mac where we have the, we're going to have the native Mac, but we may use Rust as well. So yeah, it's kind of like we take the core of our application, Liquid, really, and that's what's being pushed into Rust and, or being ported into Rust. And that's kind of like, you could think of it as like the engine of our applications. And so the engine, you know, is kind of nice and separate and basically running itself with kind of like a minimal interface to the, the actual GUI. So that way, you know, we kind of like minimize like the back and forth and complications that do exist, you know, even though Rust is compatible with like, say, C-based languages or C-friendly languages, you know, there are limitations and complications. 
So, you know, we try to keep it minimal so that, you know, hey, that our interface doesn't need to do like a whole lot, you know, say on Windows. So we just like kind of give it the minimal set of like, all right, this is how you, you know, start things up. This is what you will, you know, tell you what's going on. And then so that kind of bridges over to the like the C sharp and then the UI reacts to it and the UI will tell you know, the engine, what's going on, what the user's doing. Oh, the user moved the selection, you know, things like that. So that that's working out fairly well. So right now we don't have any UI that's directly using Rust, right? You were going to add something, Corin? Yeah, it, well, it's, we've played around with it in the past. And isn't some of our, like, kind of internal testing stuff using some Rust UI? Yeah, exactly that. We, we have explored some as kind of, like, quick-to-build internal tools like oh you know hey i need to build this tool real quick what can i use in rust so i don't have to like go through the process of bridging and all that all that stuff because it's well it's not like overly complicated it's it's extra it's extra work and yeah we've explored two well we've used two things internally one is kind of a young framework called iced and then the other one is actually windows only native windows gui from one of our other engineers. Yeah, Gabriel, who's on our team. Yeah. He made it. Yeah, so that's, no, that's been super cool. Have we had any issues with the bridging? Like, have we had any performance issues or just been too clunky? I know that's commonly an issue on bridging between languages. I feel like for me, I've just been like a utilizer of it. I haven't, because Jeremy did most of the actual bridging code. But for me, it was just, it's more a maintenance thing, it feels like. So it's kind of just more to keep track of and it's like oh well, we've got to alter the ffi to change that or something so it's kind of like an extra step all the time but it's necessary i mean but as far as things getting mangled and stuff like that that's all pretty automated because jeremy you know is really good at setting that all up yeah like it's not without its kind of pitfalls and and warts because you're taking kind of like this language that's got all these nice features and having to kind of like start pushing some of that stuff across like this border, you know, like basically this FFI border, which is like the border between Rust and say C. And that has its kind of like pitfalls that we have to kind of deal with. It's a, it can be a little clunky because you have to you know, do a lot more work that would be like a one line thing in Rust. But yeah, but like Gordon said, it is necessary. And it's still like just managing to keep that minimal, especially with kind of the way our app works has proven that it's 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 not too bad and there there shouldn't be really high costs either with how we're using it either. Yeah, I feel like we read a bit about that and we kept coming across things that saying and there was like essentially zero cost to go across the foreign function interface border, so FFI border. Yeah. I don't remember there being big hiccups around it or Yeah, I think you you mostly have to my understanding is, yeah, you, you have to look out for this with, I think, the higher, like, the more managed languages. So, like, if we were doing more high-performance code across our, our FFI, you you know, C-sharp, you know, there may be some costs going across. And more so if we, say, someday we start looking at, like, Android. Android, we have to be sure, a lot more right. careful with that. The JVM, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and in our case, we're really going from Rust over to C. And we're seeing like really great performance there with that. So for us, we've really got this this core, this Rust core, that's our liquid engine. And then 
on top of that, we've got bindings to you know the native, whatever's the native UI toolkits and kind of native language on that platform, C-sharp on Windows, Objective-C on iOS and Mac. And do you guys have any idea what the code breakdown is now in terms of how much of our code base now is Rust versus other languages now? Yeah, I was just looking. It's real rough, but it's there's a little bit more Rust than C slash C++, I believe. Okay. For a code base that's had a lot of C and C++, that's a lot. Yeah. It's like, you know, somewhere in the 20s to 30,000 lines of Rust and like 20-something thousand maybe of C. It's a real rough guess because, you know, sometimes you have a lot of code that's not even in use in your code base that you might be counting. Right, right, right. But still, we've it's been a lot of Rust. It's been a lot of Rust that's that's been put in there to get at this spot. And we're not totally done with the port to... <laughs> To Windows, but we really, at this point, I would say, have our Liquid Engine in a really good spot where we're getting really good performance out of it. We're seeing really similar performance to the Mac side of things, which, and of course, on the Mac too, we're at some point going to rip that out and replace that with the Rust Engine as well. Right now, we're only using it on the Windows side, but we will switch that around as well. So over this whole experience, I mean, what do you guys think has been the toughest part of porting to Windows? I, I can answer first. If you yeah, want yeah, yeah. Go, go for it, Corwin. Yeah. So for me, I hadn't done Windows-specific programming in a long time. One of the first things I dove into was building the, the capture part in Rust. And so that immediately got me into the DXGI arena and the FFI arena with you know all kinds of unsafe, complicated calls and things like that. And I think... It was a great challenge, but I would say that it was it was pretty tough. Like I, you know, for a few reasons, I hadn't really done Windows programming before. I didn't know anything about DXGI and hadn't really used a lot of FFI stuff before. So it was sort of three complicated things all at once, but still totally worth it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because you get into nitty gritty stuff like with the Windows documentation. There'll be a remark section, and that section just has like gold nuggets in it sometimes. Or you'll hit up a wall with, you're just trying to make a call happen through that Win API interface, but you forgot to initiate some struct that is accessed by a double pointer somehow, and then it just blows up, right? So you spend like <laughs> yep. hours trying to figure it out. So for me, it was those kinds of things that I would get hung up on. And you, you know, you learn them just like you learn in any other language, but it felt tough at the time. Yeah, and I mean, at least. For me, like I'm coming from the Mac side of things, right? So I'm yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, all three of us are actually, and and so like the DXGI, which is the DirectX, where the cap screen capture stuff for DirectX is in there, and it was just like gnarly to try to read that. And then yeah, so you're dealing with Rust, trying to figure out Rust, and trying to figure out this new API that we've never seen before to capture the screen. Yeah, and that was about a year ago. His last. Last August, so yeah, it was. Oh, wow. I was, I was, yeah, I was pretty right. new into Rust. <laughs> it feels like yeah. just yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, what do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I think yeah. Some of the harder parts are definitely kind of learning like the native APIs because despite the fact that we're using Rust, we often have to call into you know the native APIs, which are C for the most part. A lot of the stuff on Windows can be accessed at the C level. And those can be, they can range from not too bad to pretty obtuse. And yeah, so there's some headbanging fun times <laughs> when dealing with some of the 
basically the older style APIs in Windows. You know, say learning, you know, some of the GUI stuff with C Sharp, that's a lot easier to understand and follow. But some of the almost more legacy kind of area, or at least older style APIs with the C level are can be pretty confusing, you know, especially like DirectX, that's very complicated. Yeah, yeah. And some of the yeah, Win32 stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> pretty gnarly. What do you feel like's been, I don't know, surprised you on Windows or been better on Windows? Which I can go first here. It's been a long time since I've done serious work on Windows. And so I was pleasantly surprised by the development tools. We've been using Windows Terminal, been using Visual Studio Code, and, you know, just the, the Rust the Rust compiler and everything else that goes with it. Now, granted, I haven't been doing heavy coding, just kind of dabbling here and there and things, get my nose in the way maybe. But uh, it's been surprisingly, surprisingly painless for me, somebody that's like really used to living in Xcode to go over and start to use like Visual Studio Code and the Windows Terminal. And I was like, actually, you know, I kind of like these tools. Like now I've got Visual Studio or Visual Studio Code on my Mac too. So... (laughs) Yeah, I would say Visual Studio Code's been been pretty great. You know, despite kind of the immaturity of some of the tool chain, more like the IDE kind of tools for Rust, it's still been pretty great. I would say though, Visual Studio itself I haven't been as thrilled with, but part of that might just be like using Visual Studio Code so much when I open up Visual Studio, it's a little too different and and sometimes not obvious how to get things done. But there's there's been some, uh, like, yeah, definitely some nice things on Windows. You know, like, I like, I agree with the terminal as well. I like the new terminal. I've gone crazy and customized mine quite a bit. But also, I like the fact that we have, like, getting more to the liquid side of things is that we have the ability to do a lot more with the input on Windows because unlike mm, Mac... That's a good point, yeah. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, exactly. We have the ability to do touch on Windows, like, officially. Like Mac isn't a touchscreen OS. Right. Um, so the, there's no APIs for it. Yeah. Where Windows is yeah. like, hey, this is actually a first party concept. And so we can actually look into embracing that, like, you know, with our apps. You know, no, you know, no promises, you know, when, but that's, that's a very appealing thing to be able to, like, oh, we can, yeah, we can actually true. use this instead of like, oh, this is a mouse, you know, hey, you're using your finger, you know. Well, and, and on the Mac, we pretend to be a touchpad, like on the laptop. That's how we do scrolling and things, because on the Mac, there's no native concept of these touch interactions. I, yeah, I it's, about that. yeah, it's it's definitely nice where, you know, like, oh, we could do like tiny little things like on Windows, if you're using a touchscreen Windows machine, you can scroll things just like you do on the iPad. So, you know a single finger, you know, it's a lot more intuitive because you have your iPad in your lap, you know, you you might default to using it like an iPad and on the Mac, you can't quite do that, you know, because, hey, you maybe you intend to draw it with your finger and not necessarily scroll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Corwin? Yeah, I didn't think of the Visual Studio Code until you guys mentioned it, but that's our daily tool now. And it's it's really good just seeing the amount of third-party extensions you can put in. I mean, we use, of course, Rust Analyzer a lot, but all the other ones, like all the code, like the to-do extension, anything you can think of, it's there. Ooh, I don't have the to-do extension. (laughs) Yeah, like it's all there. It's really cool. 
and I even use it just to take notes now, right? Like I just need to jot something down. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, so I'm glad you guys mentioned that because yeah, it's pretty solid. Even though it is a little young and it's not as mature as some larger IDEs, that means it's a little bit lighter on its feet, you know, so it can move, it can update faster. And their updates come pretty fast. The other thing on Windows so far that we just recently discovered was support for as devs. We ran into a few issues where we oh, reached out. Oh, this is a great. That's a great one too. Yeah, this is weird for us coming from the Apple side of things. Yeah, so from the Apple side, you know, I had pretty good experiences in the past with Apple, but you know, it always felt like you know, it's this walled garden, right? You're like, you you send off your question, and even with a high level technical support, it was always very like robotic and arm's length, and unless you were at a WWDC lab or something. But through their dev system, it was very like, it was never a great option. And just recently, we reached out through, is it Yammer? Yammer? Yeah, they do use Yammer. For- yeah. yeah, it's like a you know limited access thing. Or even like just the people that have reached out to try to like help us like in general. Like there's been some kind of relations type people that seemed mm-hmm. a, little, a lot more welcoming. Yeah, um, so they were so fast to respond to our pretty specific technical questions and it kind of felt more like a colleague was leaning over and and working with you and they were like seemed genuinely excited to try and help us and that's a very different feel than the apple world and you know again i'm that's all i've lived and breathed for 10 15 years so it's it's interesting it's interesting even though the, the microsoft is or windows world is a bit more wild west it's it's got its advantages like that, I think. Yeah, it's definitely been the case. Yeah. And, and I agree coming from the Apple world where it's really hard to get a response out of Apple. It's re- really hard often to get an answer to something or, you know, they don't want to tell you something because of the secrecy, kind of like how, how open Microsoft has been, how willing to help and quickly too, like within 24 hours. Yeah, you it was have fat. an answer on stuff. It's and crazy. it was, and it was more than one person too. I think a couple of our questions, we had at least two people kind of chime in and what was cool about it too is they actually shared stories about like other developers in similar situations and they pointed to like something that was it firefox had an issue or something like that oh it was chrome chrome yeah yeah it was yeah involving chrome and high precision timing chrome used a lot of battery due to leaving high precision timing constantly running yeah so it's just neat that they you know they're not and the guy even said like we're Windows is not a real-time operating system. You know, he just like like call it what it is, right? So we don't have that kind of access all the time. I don't feel like there there was that level of self-awareness on the other side. No, <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely not. And that's been really, really refreshing and very, especially right now with what's going on in, in the development community too on the Apple side, where a lot of people are are complaining, especially about how Apple's treating developers. You know the app, the app review process, the the battle with Epic, giving developers basically no heads up on the iOS 14 release. You know, so there's been a lot kind of brewing. So it's really interesting to compare that with our experience right now working with Microsoft. You know, and it's not like we're some big name, like huge developer that everybody knows. No, we're a tiny, tiny little place. But yet they're they're willing to help out, so it's it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I'd almost be curious, like if we, so we have the option, like we could, you know, choose to go, like say in the Microsoft Store, which should have some parallels to Apple. You know, they have a review process and stuff. So I'd be very curious to 
compare that if we end up doing so, you know, like, cause that's such a sore subject. I feel like on, on the Apple side that I'm like, all right, I'm kind of curious, <laughs> Let's you know, just I try kind, it. <laughs> kind of expecting Microsoft to be a little more friendly on that because I know they got their own, you know, they got their own rules and stuff. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. If they're treating most developers like this, this is really smart on Microsoft's part to kind of play the alter alter ego to Apple, right? Yeah, Pretty. we'll see if we get any super cryptic, not approved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we can put our hands up in the air after. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Well, because all of us are like longtime Mac, iOS people. Like, what's it, what's it been like working on Windows so much? There's definitely things I miss because... There are things I like about Windows, but overall, I do feel like it's kind of like there's some sloppiness to it. There's inconsistencies uh, and just, you know, headaches. Like, you know, you're more likely to have to fight with drivers and stuff on Windows yep. than like, mm-hmm. you know, on a Mac because everything's just, you know, pre-built basically. You don't have any choice. Or things like, you know, some settings in Windows are kind of like hidden away in some more legacy UI and but some settings are in kind of the more modern ui you know things like that kind of bug me a little bit but you know they're a little minor or or actually you know one of my big things is i miss having a very reliable drag and drop like on mac you can drag and drop like so many different things and so many apps support it on windows it's pretty hit and miss so like, you know, like for example, I'm using the built-in VM Hyper-V manager on Windows, which is really cool that that exists. That's pretty awesome. There's, you know, very basic v- a virtual machine built in. But there's a weird thing where if you want to like bring a file into the VM, I'm used to like, you know, you can just drag it in like VMware on a Mac. You can't drag it, but you can copy and paste it, you know, like similar concept in my mind, but just it just doesn't doesn't support it. There's little things like that that bug me, but there's there are some nice things too. What do you think, Corwin? Yeah, I feel the same way. It still feels like when I first set up Windows last year to start development on it, you know, one of the first things that surprised me was installing Windows and how it still felt really clumsy and it still was like nothing's changed since 1996. Like, how is this possible? <laughs> You know they have a little bit, and they've got the like the newer UI happening, but it doesn't. I agree, it it just feels a bit sloppy and clunky compared to the Mac OS is just so polished and reliable. So for me, I I kind of keep one foot in each pond right now. If I can, and especially because of Rust being cross-platform, a lot of the time I'll just work on my Mac, and then when I need to, I'll move to Windows if I have to use you know Win Win API and stuff for testing. So I'll hop back and forth, or like right now, I'm doing that quite a bit. So I use Synergy or ShareMouse to have mouse and keyboard to be able to control both. So that helps too. But I don't even try to drag and drop stuff on Windows. because <laughs> not, not, I didn't realize why, but maybe that's like, because I didn't realize it wasn't as, you know. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't yeah. I mean, it, it works on some common apps like, you know, Slack. Mm-hmm. Slack does support it. So I do that plenty for screenshots and stuff. So I don't, yeah, I feel like... I'm probably still primarily a Mac user, but I kind of like where Microsoft is going at the moment. Like I, I agree. There's some really interesting stuff they're doing. Yeah. I like all the open source projects and contributions they've doing, like, especially just because it's like, oh, wow, this is like a new Microsoft because, you know, in their past, 
very much proprietary, closed source, et cetera. And now they have, you know, Visual Studio Codes, their open source project. The new terminal app is an open source project. They just commit, like, are starting to contribute to, like, the Linux kernel for something I can't remember, you know, like, it's it's nice to see them embrace seeing, like, open source a little more. Aren't they doing some like rust promotion and rust usage too i feel like we've talked about this oh yeah that's a yeah they're starting to use that i believe internally or even maybe even in windows yeah there's that was it winrt i think that they're adding a rust Mm -hmm. yeah there is uh yeah winrt like rust they call it a very specific name it was called like um projection or something like that forget the term they use because like basically WinRT, there's like a C++ projection. I might be using the wrong word, but so yeah, you can access like this entire like basically the user interface kind of APIs for the most part from you know different languages other than C Sharp. And now they've done one that is exposing that to Rust, which is pretty cool and promising for for us even. Yeah, definitely, it's good to see them see them picking that up as well. What other advice would you have for somebody else that's wants to adventure out on a project like this that wants to have a make a cross-platform app what would you suggest i mean i feel like it's always important like you know because there's a lot of like arguing in the tech field of like you know the best language or the best sdk tool etc but it really does come down to the right tool for the job so for example I would say like Rust is a very good choice for a lot of things, especially if you want some of that kind of high level, like stable and fast, you know, like if you're, you know, cause like maybe, maybe writing something in like say Electron and JavaScript and stuff might suit, you know, the project you're working on, but Hey, maybe you need to make something more performant. You could still, you could still use that and maybe start adding Rust into, you know, there's, there's a lot of options and it's really coming down to, to you know take a really good look at kind of the strengths and weaknesses of what you might think are some good choices and yeah rust has got a lot of strengths in my opinion so it's would it's basically going to be my go-to language for like most things especially command line tools it's particularly nice for those yeah yeah i totally agree with the right tool for the job it, i think f- whenever you're trying to approach a new system or solve a new problem you have to look at the the shortcomings that you've got and like critically analyze those and so for us i think it was cross-platform was the biggest right and so moving forward it was rust just seems like the safest one for that that kind of approach for you know lower latency speed safety those you know the trifecta of those things do you think it would work for somebody that has a richer iPhone and iPad app, say, that, you know, because a lot of our apps themselves don't have a ton of UI in them. They do a lot of mirroring. You know, we mirror the desktop, either the Windows desktop or the Mac desktop onto the iPad, but there's not a ton of native UI itself. What do you think about if someone was doing a cross-platform app, they want to do Android, Windows, iOS? Yeah, that feels like a different problem almost like it's different worlds like if you want to if you want a polished ios ipad os app you can try and use was it reactive or some of the react native is, is one ones of yeah but unless you've got like a really 
small small templated problem you know if you're not going to do if it's not too complex you can probably do it with one of those but otherwise i feel like if you want a real rich experience you've got to go native for that level maybe underneath it would make sense kind of like what we're doing where lower down you've got yep. got cross platform stuff maybe you know, it's yeah wherever it is but at the high high level there i feel like you've got to be in the native land and the native language to make it as smooth and rich as possible i don't know what do you think jeremy yeah, I've always been kind of a proponent of using the native kind of interface. And this is probably a little leftover, kind of like almost like the Mac snobbiness. Because <laughs> totally. you, you, you could say like, I would, I would almost describe like the the older generation of, you know, software on the Mac was very much snobby. And, you know, like the, I would almost say like looking back at it, I feel like it might have been unwelcoming for new people. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, yeah, like, you know, hey, your app's not Mac-like enough. Right, right. You know, like, so I, I carry some of that, you know, trying to remember that, you know, it's like not every everybody has the same kind of requirements or abilities to deliver something, you know, especially, you know, you have a small company or, or team and you need to, like, in a hard requirement is like, hey, this needs to be on Android and iOS and maybe more. Yeah, you might be want to giving a strong look at something like React Native or Flutter or you know the there's a bunch of like the kind of the cross platform UI SDKs. I do feel like they are a compromise in a lot of cases. You know, so it depends on how much of that platform you want to be able to harness. Because sometimes there may be something you don't have access to or can't quite do it the same or you know, things like that. Yeah, you know, I haven't worked with Electron a ton. And I don't, you know, it's not going to work for for mobile, really. You need to do something different on Android and iPhone and the iPad, too. But for desktop apps, I would be interested to play around more with Electron and see, can you use a combination of web tech, maybe Rust in the core, and native APIs, you know, and kind of use each of them for what they're best at. So maybe you have an app that does a lot of, like, document type layout and you want it to be cross-platform well a web engine could be really good to use for that because it's really powerful at that and then if there's integration points where you tie in with the native apis to make it really smooth you kind of smooth out some of the, the rough edges and then you know use rust for any internal internal engines you need you know like larger pieces of code i'd be curious to play around with that now granted i haven't done any of this but I'd be curious for a cross-platform app what that would look like because it is it is difficult to build a cross-platform app that's going to work on Android, iOS, Mac, Windows as a small team. Not only is that a lot of APIs, but a lot of them are changing quickly. Like Apple's changing stuff very quickly. Now, you know, there's Catalyst, there's other Swift UI. There's a lot, a lot of changes going on that it's almost a full-time job just to keep up with changes <laughs> within one ecosystem, let alone maintain it across a bunch of different platforms. Yeah, I would say there's a lot of interesting things going on with Rust kind of in what you describe. It seems to be a popular choice for speeding up something that needs to be sped up in a language that's, you know, slower. Like, oh, this is how, you know, you can speed up a chunk of your Python by like, oh, move this, you know, kind of a sensitive code into Rust and call Python calls into the Rust. I'm very intrigued by WebAssembly. Rust is one of the, I think, primary languages that targets WebAssembly. And I bet you that would be probably 
pretty useful in, in conjunction with Electron. Yeah, I'm pretty intrigued by that as well. Yeah, so there's some interesting stuff you could do there, you know. Which it's weird to hear these words coming out of my mouth as a very, very <laughs> long-time Mac developer. Yeah. But nevertheless, <laughs> stuff to think about now these days. So this has been a long project. It's been a tough project for us. And granted, we're still not at the end of it, but we've made huge, huge milestones and huge breakthroughs in bringing Liquid to Windows. It hasn't always been rainbows and butterflies, that's for sure. And Mm, I was curious, what do you do when things get tough? Yeah, I feel like I was thinking about this today and I was like, what 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 do we do? (laughs) Then there's sort of two or three things. One of the things I like that we do as a team is we can switch sort of the owners of the code a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if Those it's like if I'm if I'm burning out on something, sort of like oh man, like I know there's some bugs here or this API is just beating me down, and then I feel like you know just really fortunate to be part of a team where people will happily kind of like sure, I'll like I'll take a look, or even before that step, if they're not going to maybe take over part of the ownership, like you can drop a question in Slack and you'll at least get one response. You might even get five (laughs) from other engineers. And I just feel like there's a really solid support system there between all of us. Like nobody's afraid to say like, I don't know what's going on here. Right. And for me, that's what keeps it driving is like, you know, I have the optimism that we're going to be able to solve it. And then, you know, that causes us to just work together and do it. The other is just like people, lots of people probably do this is just, you know, you take a breather, right? You take oh, yeah. A breather, breather yeah, day night. or yep. whatever. Yeah. Come back good tomorrow. Night. Yeah, oh, good, hey. Good night's rest. Is yep. the answer. Yeah. Worst wonders. So I don't know if it's not really like I can't answer sort of personally, but yeah, I think for us, it's just the, for me, fortunate I'm part of like this group of engineers that are able to work well together and help each other out to slog through the Windows API. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's definitely been like passing of work. Like, hey, can you take a look at this? I'm burnt out on this, trying to figure this puzzle out. And yeah, that's very helpful. Yeah, another thing too is I feel like this was even when we were building Astropad on the the Mac originally, the first version of it too. Is you know looking at it one step at a time and kind of like celebrating the bits that work now. You know, like there might be tons more functionality to implement, but sharing demos and stuff, videos of the parts that are working or something that was just implemented and kind of kind of celebrating that. That's been those milestones along the way. Cause if you focus too much on the the end goal all the time, I mean oh, eventually yeah. we need to get there, but if the whole time you're thinking about the end goal, it's like feels you like stress yourself out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Versus like, oh my God, we got, you know, the network up or we got the UDP is working or you know, whatever it may be. We're capturing, we're capturing from Windows. Woohoo, we're capturing the screen, you know, these little these little milestones along the way. Yeah. This reminds me of that that's kind of how Rust, like me introducing Rust actually worked out was I presented it as a piecemeal, like, you know, made sure like we do this in a, in a step-by-step way. We don't just like, oh, hey, we're rewriting the entire app starting today. It's like, nope, we were writing this piece right now. And then we'll worry about the rest after that, you know? And I think that can be applied to, you know, a lot of things is to try to keep your focus kind of narrow in the short term, like, you know, all right, this is my current current task. Like we need to, you know, get this puzzle piece done and then it'll fit into the bigger piece and we'll have more things done after that. 
that has helped greatly kind of keep things on track. Yeah, and Matt, when you mentioned the celebrating the little things, it's true. Like I never thought of that. But now reflecting back, it's like you can remember like all those little things that we've did and it helps drive motivation and kind of gets you excited to like solve the small problem you're working on and share it. And then it's like, yeah, we got that working and then just keeps keeps the, the machine moving. Whereas I think if we didn't do that, I think these problems, it would feel harder to solve. Yeah, that's reminding me of early on, gosh, this would probably be about a year ago now then, where we had a copy of the window screen showing up on the iPad. Oh, yeah. And it was, was super very slow. It was like <laughs> yeah. crazy Oof. slow. And I didn't care at all. I thought it was the greatest thing. I was like, oh my God, look at this. It's the Windows menu on an iPad. You know, it's like, don't try moving the mouse. But there wasn't a mouse. There wasn't a mouse. There wasn't a mouse. But that was still super cool. Yeah, that was very exciting. Like, so, like, like, it's, you know, the, I think I've heard of it as like the black triangle moments, like getting something kind of tangible on screen. Mm. (laughs) Oh my God, it's working. And the other thing, too, is I think about, with these these kinds of problems we're working on, and especially with something like the liquid stack that's got some really low level networking, video compression, all sorts of, and this has to be really fast, you know, 60 frames a second. It's a hard problem. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, yeah, this isn't meant to be easy. If this was easy, tons of companies and tons, tons of apps out there would have similar functionality in them, but they're not, this isn't easy to do. You know, it's just that we're after it day after day after day that we're able to pull this off. We're putting so much concentrated effort in in figuring out how to get this to work, to get this really low latency, high performance network code, to get this really low latency, high quality video compression. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not easy to do. And sometimes it's, easy to forget that as well Mm -hmm. and thinking about those the complexities of that sometimes when you go right down to the granular level there's just they're simple calculations super simple math but as you go up the stack and all those things have to work together and you get the emergence of the whole system it's so complicated yeah that's that's (laughs) something else we talk about the emergent behavior it's almost like not fractals where you have these simple mechanisms you're like, yeah, as you're saying, Corwin, you're like, I understand this simple piece. I understand how it works, but I put 10 of them together and all of a sudden we're observing this behavior that nobody understands. <laughs> like, well, how does this work? Where did this come from? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the, the human body too. Like just the flow of the systems and the organs and the blood is just like somehow it all works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crazy yeah. complex system. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've made uh, amazing progress and well, we'll have to do another one of these in the future once we officially ship our, our 1.0s as well. But we're, we're in a really solid place with, with running liquid on windows. Anything you guys want to add before we. I thought, I thought of one thing kind of near the beginning that we didn't touch on, which is, you know, another great thing about rust is cargo, which is, I think of it as like the dependency system. There's maybe a more accurate way of describing it. But, you know, just this week, I started to work on a new small testing tool. And it was just like, oh, I need to bring in this third-party library, this third-party library. And it's like a single line of code. And I think back to iOS development. I didn't use a lot of third-party libraries because there was too many choices. And, you know, you're not sure what you're getting. But I feel like the whole cargo system and the ecosystem around it for those, they're called crates. I think of them as libraries. They're fairly well documented and it's just so easy to add dependencies to your code. 
you know, because chances are someone else has probably done a good job of a specific tool that you need. Yeah, what do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, that has definitely been a huge, huge help with like, you know, learning Rust and just using it like, oh, it's like, I need to do this. And it's like, boom, 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 I can add a bunch of, you know, it's like, oh, I need to deal with JSON. Well, there's a, you know, there's a crate for that. It makes it very easy. And this may seem kind of familiar to like some developers because, you know, they may be in a, like, they may be a Node.js developer and they're used to mm-hmm. having that kind of ease. It's nice for, you know, us kind of desktop developers or whatever that had limited options for that or we didn't you know like there's some for ios but like there's pros and cons and Mm -hmm. it's not like part of a tool chain where like rust is kind of like batteries included this is like you know here's the documentation tool here's the linter here's the package manager like you know you got all the base core you know command line tools that you typically like to have with a language and that is is super great and yeah and i agree with that there's a lot of good quality crates out there and you know there's even some i know that are like being considered to be part of rust um mm-hmm. you know so yeah there's lots of good stuff well cool well thanks guys thanks for coming on talking about our our port to windows and i look forward to you know checking out and showing the world what you've been working on yeah i can't wait for people to people to play with it yeah yeah, yeah it's gonna be good it'll be good all right bye bye now bye guys bye